Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hello and welcome to another special edition of the China Geopolitics Podcast. My name is Jared Watt, Specialist Digital Editor of the South China Morning Post here in Hong Kong, where we continue to work from home and shelter in place amid the ongoing Omicron surge. Now, while the 24-hour news coverage of the ongoing invasion, destruction and humanitarian crisis in Ukraine continues to dominate, in Beijing this week, all eyes were on the Great Hall of the People as the annual back-to-back meetings of China's two major political bodies were held. Now, there's extensive analysis of the two sessions from my colleagues on the China desk that is very much worth your time to read on SEMP.com, because China is facing some huge challenges right now. From the ongoing fallout of the Evergrande property collapse, to plunging birth rates and an impending demographic crisis, as well as a domestic economy struggling to recover as the pandemic ravaged the global economy deals with massive shocks to commodities and oil. Of course, all of this has been pushed off the front page with global attention upon China and its role in the Ukraine crisis. A month ago, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin declared Russia and China's relationship was one without limits. Here we are in March, and almost every day we're seeing new reports of war atrocities perpetrated upon civilians. More than a million Ukrainians displaced and made homeless. All the while, governments across the Western world demand Beijing tell its friends in Moscow, enough is enough. And thus it was the scheduled press conference of China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi at the beginning of the two sessions this week that demands our attention and analysis. With that, you'll be hearing from Xi Jintao, a journalist working in our Beijing bureau who has for more than a decade been reporting on China's diplomacy and socio-political issues. Throughout this episode, I'm going to drop in highlights of Wang Yi's speech and his answers to journalists. As always, let me remind you, by the time we finish recording this episode, there's a very good chance there'll be a significant new development to what you'll hear us talking about here. As ever, the latest updates and analysis are being filed around the clock at scmp.com. So right now, let's head to Beijing. Let's hear what China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi had to say at his annual press conference on the sidelines of the two sessions. On with the show. Xi Jingtao is with me from our Beijing bureau. Jingtao, originally I was going to ask you about Wang Yi's press conference, and I will, but overnight we've had the news that Xi Jinping himself has made a phone call to the leaders of Germany and France about Ukraine. The last European leader Xi Jinping spoke with was Vladimir Putin. So can you tell us about the importance of this phone call and what we know was talked about? I think it's very important uh, for Xi Jinping because uh, to, to talk about Ukraine. 
because um, uh, we all understand uh, China's diplomacy is highly centralized and uh, top-down. So most important decisions have to go to uh, uh, the president himself. Based on what Xi Jinping uh, said to France, Macron and Germany's Schultz uh, yesterday, I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's quite curious uh, for me to wonder what, uh, what kind of role uh, China is going to play in Ukraine, especially after Wang Yi said the other day, China is interested in playing a constructive role in mediating in the crisis. But what Xi Jinping said yesterday, I think it's clear to me, China's more interested in participating in this process instead of leading the operation. And Zhengtao, as you say, this is a, a subtle but significant shift because the EU had called for China to lead negotiations and there seemed to be this idea that China was going to lead in its idea of, of diplomacy and its idea of democracy. But it's a significant shift that, and as we heard from Wang Yi, that, that Xi Jinping is offering aid rather than to lead negotiations. I think it's not very surprising to me because I think it's, uh, maybe people uh, expect a bit too much uh, from Beijing at least uh, at this moment, because China is, uh, uh, has some very tough decisions to make and, and it's, uh, it's a very difficult balancing act for China at the moment. Although it has serious reservations about Putin's invasion of Ukraine, because Wang Yi the other day failed to clarify what kind of role China uh, is going to play exactly in this mediation process, although he said China will play a constructive role in the whole process. And uh, what Xi Jinping said yesterday is uh, China has no intention to play a leading role. And actually, he encouraged uh, uh, France and Germany to play a bigger role in that process. Another interesting point during their talks, I think it's clear to the outside world, uh, Beijing is trying to pull European countries, especially those Germany and France, those major powers, away from Washington's orbit, especially given the sort of um, escalating pressure uh, from the Western countries, not just on Ukraine, but also on all sorts of uh, geopolitical issues, including Taiwan. Xing Tao, you mentioned Wang Yi, China's foreign minister. He had his annual press conference at the sidelines of the two sessions late on Monday. Now, we heard him answer a series of closely vetted questions about China's foreign policy, of course, starting with Ukraine, referring to the EU, the Indo-Pacific, ASEAN, Japan, North Korea. But his initial answer about China's position on Ukraine, he laid out a six-point plan or a six-point proposal from China, and it was all about refugees and aid and support for the UN. To this end, China wishes to propose a six-point initiative. First, make sure that humanitarian operations abide by the principles of neutrality and impartiality and avoid politicizing humanitarian issues. Second, give full attention to the displaced persons in and from Ukraine and provide them with proper shelter. Third, ensure the protection of civilians and prevent secondary humanitarian disasters in Ukraine. Fourth, provide for safe and smooth humanitarian aid activities 
including providing rapid, safe, and unimpeded humanitarian access. Fifth, provide for the safety of foreign nationals in Ukraine, allow them safe departure, and help them return to their home countries. And sixth, support the UN's coordinating role in channeling humanitarian aid and the work of the UN Crisis Coordinator for Ukraine. Is this something that was new to you? What did you think about Wang Yi's press conference? Actually, I think it's not surprising to me uh, because um, I think his briefing this year is very much uh, similar to what he did uh, in the previous two years. It was uh, carefully scripted and controlled, and uh, it was held virtually with a group of selected Chinese and overseas reporters placed in in separate rooms. I think it is a setting... uh, which has worked uh, very well in Wang's favor. And obviously, the worsening Ukraine crisis and China's balancing act have dominated this annual event. Wang Yi appeared to have been well prepared, though, because uh, of the first nine questions he picked, five were about China's position on the Ukraine war and two about the troubled U.S.-China relations. But basically, Wang Yi repeated uh, what we already know about China's position expressing concerns over the situation while continuing to balk at calling out Putin over his invasion. I think the only thing that stood out around those questions uh, on Ukraine is about China's willingness to participate in the mediation efforts. But given what Xi Jinping said yesterday, I think China's uh, stepped back a little bit and is more cautious about uh, the expectations from the international community, especially the Western countries. I think the US and the European Union have been piling uh, pressure on China for playing a bigger role. To China, I think it's more like a trap, a setup, because if China indeed plays a bigger role or even joins the US and other countries in condemning Putin for Beijing, it does not seem as uh, any realistic prospect of uh, improvement in China's relations with uh, the US or European Union. In other words, uh, I don't think China will change it, its assessment. That's why I think it's um, it's not so much about China's friendship with uh, Russia or uh, whether Beijing likes uh, Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Rather, I think it's... Uh, It's the shared interest to counter the U.S., not the shared values that have brought China and Russia closer, just like what happened 50 years ago when China and the U.S. overcome their ideological rivalry, amity to stand together against the Soviet Union. We've heard this phrase repeated quite often in the past week or so, Jingtao, is that 50 years ago, Nixon played the China card to isolate Russia. It appears that Russia has played the China card to to isolate the US uh, in this conflict with Ukraine. You mentioned the EU and China's goal to move Germany and France out of Washington's orbit. What are your sources telling you about China's relationship with the EU right now? What are people talking about in the diplomatic circles you move in in Beijing about the current state of Beijing's relationship with the EU? I think it's uh, for both China and the EU, um, their bilateral relations are in deep trouble. It's a fact. And from China's perspective, um, although it's uh, it's not realistic for China to expect any uh, significant changes, um, 
uh, from the EU uh, in the near future. But still, compared to its relations, uh, I mean, more troubled relations with Washington, uh, Beijing would hope the EU will remain sort of independent from it sort of reliance on Washington on strategic issues, especially those related to China, such as South China Sea, Taiwan, and Hong Kong and Xinjiang. In our view, China and Europe are two major forces for world peace, two big markets for common development, and two great civilizations for human progress. The China-Europe relationship is not targeted at any third party, nor is it subjugated to or controlled by any third party. Dialogue and cooperation between the two sides on the basis of mutual respect and mutual benefit will add more stabilizing factors to an unstable world. China and Europe had fruitful cooperation in 2021. That said, some forces are unhappy to see the steady growth of China-Europe relations. They fabricate the narrative of China threat, play up competition with China, clamor for seeing China as a systemic rival, and even impose sanctions and provoke confrontation with China. Both China and Europe must be on high alert against these developments. China views its relations with Europe from a strategic, long-term perspective. China's policy toward Europe is firm and consistent. It will not be affected by any turn of events. We will continue to support the independence of Europe and a united and prosperous EU. In the meantime, we hope that Europe will develop a more independent and objective perception of China, adopt a more pragmatic and rational China policy, and work with China to oppose a new Cold War and uphold and act on true multilateralism. Going forward, the two sides need to work together for the success of the China-EU summit and other important events on the political agenda. We will seek greater strategic synergy, expand practical cooperation, advance multilateral coordination, deepen people-to-people -people exchange, and properly manage differences, so as to jointly deliver more concrete benefits to the world. But it's just a hope. I don't know how realistic uh, that sort of expectations uh, can be delivered. But, uh, I mean, given the fact that uh, Xi Jinping talked to European leaders more often than he talked to his U.S. counterpart, President Biden, I think it's, um, it's fair to say China did try to, uh, very hard to welcome European countries on this front. Xinjiang, what makes this war in the Ukraine become this immense geopolitical puzzle is the size of Russia on the far eastern side of Russia, of course, is the border with Japan. Japan is raising its own concerns and becoming more antagonistic towards Russia. But there's been a change in Japan's geopolitics that affects its relationship with China. And Wang Yi had some very specific comments about Japan during that press conference. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, I think because uh, uh, Wang Yi uh, uh, used to be China's ambassador to Japan uh, more than a decade ago. So uh, he's uh, considered a Japan expert. And um, 
Uh, yes, you're right. Uh, when you talked quite tough on Japan at this press conference, uh, as usual. Here, let me offer three pieces of advice to the Japanese side. First, cherish the original aspiration and keep the bilateral relations on the right track. It is important to truly abide by the principles and spirit of the four China-Japan political documents, implement such important common understandings as the two countries should be partners, not threats, and support each other's peaceful development. These are crucial for the bilateral relations to develop in the direction of peace and friendship. Second, honor commitments and uphold the political foundation of bilateral relations. Major sensitive issues such as history and Taiwan are foundational to mutual trust between our two countries. If the foundation is shaken, whatever above it cannot stand. We hope that Japan will honor the series of solemn commitments it has made on these issues to avoid serious disruption to our bilateral relations. Third, embrace the trend of the times and jointly create brighter prospects for bilateral relations. The world is becoming a multipolar one, where unilateralism and hegemonism will be replaced by greater democracy in international relations. Cold War alliances and the geopolitical confrontation have long lost people's support. This is the inevitable trend of history. And I don't think the change of governments in, in Japan will change the fact that Sino-Japan Japanese relations are at low point and um, it's getting uh, uh, worse, uh, especially on those uh, hotspot issues such as Hong Kong, Taiwan, South China Sea and Xinjiang. And Zheng Tao, with the election in South Korea, surely that is also playing into the geopolitical mindset of Beijing. Uh, indeed. I think it's... Uh, it's a tough year for China's relations with its neighbors. Um, the prospect of more sort of anti-China, anti-Beijing government uh, is, uh, is worrying from Beijing's perspective. And uh, Beijing is trying hard to avoid um, the Ukraine uh, crisis becoming another divisive issue between Beijing and those countries. Uh, its relations with those uh, Asian countries are already uh, at their low point over a host of issues such as South China Sea, Xinjiang, Taiwan, and, and Hong Kong. And uh, I think uh, Beijing is in a difficult position to, to balance its, its own interests and its relations with its neighbours. Zheng Tao, you are a veteran of diplomacy and foreign policy for China. I'm, I'm quite interested about the echoes of history where you know, during the Cold War we saw this thing known as encirclement of the USSR by the US, by its NATO allies. In the circles you move in, the people you speak with, is there a sense of that happening with China, with South Korea and Japan and the increasingly hawkish approach of both the Japanese government and what will be the soon-to-be new South Korean government? Indeed, I think there is a strong sense of besiegement among Chinese officials, diplomats, and um, think tanks. It's a nightmare scenario for for Beijing because uh, the U.S. is making quite some progress on its Indo-Pacific strategy, which uh, Wang Yi spoke uh, quite strongly against during his press conference. The U.S. Indo-Pacific strategy is becoming a byword for bloc politics. 
The United States professes a desire to advance regional cooperation, but in reality, it is stoking geopolitical rivalry. It talks a lot about returning to multilateralism, but in reality, it is forming exclusive clubs. It claims to uphold international rules, but in reality, it is setting and imposing rules that suit itself and its acolytes, from strengthening the Five Eyes. To peddling the court, from piecing together orcas, to tightening bilateral military alliances, the U.S. is staging a 5-4-3-2 formation in the Asia Pacific. This is by no means some kind of blessing for the region, but a sinister move. To disrupt regional peace and stability, the real goal of the U.S. Indo-Pacific strategy is to establish an Indo-Pacific version of NATO. It seeks to maintain the U.S.-led system of hegemony, undermine the ASEAN-centered regional cooperation architecture, and compromise the overall and long-term interests of countries in the region. The perverse actions run counter to the common aspiration of the region for peace. Development, cooperation, and win-win outcomes—they are doomed to fail. I think it's uh, Beijing's、uh, top priority remains、uh, to be its、uh, relations with Washington.、Uh, I think it's fair to say China's relations with Washington is not going to prove、uh, anytime soon, especially considering how Washington has、uh, treated Beijing recently in the middle of the、uh, Ukraine crisis. Washington actually sent uh, uh, a destroyer to the Taiwan Strait recently, and、uh, also sent a high-level delegation of former military and security leaders to Taiwan in the middle of this crisis. And I think that's a wake-up call for Beijing: that no matter what happened in Ukraine, and no matter how Beijing pick its side on the Ukraine crisis, the Biden administration will treat China. Still, as its biggest geopolitical threats of the 21st century, as Blinken said earlier, and、uh, I think it's in, almost inconceivable that U.S.-China relations will significantly improve, even if China joins the U.S. in condemning Russia. Jingtao, you mentioned you know the rivalry between Washington and China. Joe Biden, in his State of the Union speech, referred to China as the great competitor. For the U.S. in this century, Biden's aim has also been to form alliances, alliances in Europe, alliances in Southeast Asia. But Wang Yi spoke about the nations that have aligned with China in his press conference. He spoke about the BRICS nations. What did you get from Wang Yi's comments about that? About China's alliances with other countries? I think it's、uh, it's the sort of the same message he delivered last year during his、uh, annual press conference, and uh, because uh, there's a clearly uh, a sort of pressing issue for China to deal with, it's China's global image problem, especially after the the outbreak of、uh, the COVID crisis.、Um, But uh, like uh, the previous years,、uh, one did not acknowledge those problems directly. But he is、uh, quite patient and、uh, well prepared to take on the sort of、uh, criticism all around the world and concerns about China's rise, its aggressive post-coronavirus diplomacy, and the rapid deterioration between its ties、uh, and the West、uh, with the West. 
BRICS countries are a fine example of emerging markets and developing countries seeking strength from unity and a crucial force for advancing global governance. After five years, the baton of the BRICS chairmanship is once again passed to China. We will guide the reform of the global governance system with the principles of equity and justice and put forth BRICS proposals for improving global governance in the post-COVID era. We will prioritize vaccine cooperation and expand public health collaboration to cement BRICS defense against the COVID-19 pandemic. We will fully advance cooperation in such areas as economy, trade, finance, innovation, digital economy, green development and the poverty reduction to create a BRICS fast track for global development. And we will deepen BRICS plus cooperation, strengthen strategic coordination among EMDCs and make BRICS contributions to building a global development partnership. In the course of this year, China, Thailand and Indonesia will host the BRICS Summit, APEC Economic Leaders Meeting and the G20 Summit, respectively. Asia's time has come in global governance. In a race of global governance, we look forward to seeing EMDCs turning from followers to forerunners and even pace setters. Together, we can play a more active role, speak with a bigger voice, help make the international order more just and equitable, and promote more open, inclusive, balanced, and win-win globalization for all. And um, so I think what, what Wang Yi is trying to do is trying to spin um, this story and uh, like uh, some pundits call it, it's a, a war of narratives. So China is trying to work on those uh, um, allies, so-called allies and, uh, and friends, although they are um, increasingly suspicious of China's um, role in this sort of uh, uh, divided and uncertain world. I think basically his message on BRICS and uh, other China-included blocks uh, are the same. So basically, he's, uh, he, he tried to defend uh, uh, the Belt and Road Initiative, which took uh, a heavy hit uh, during the pandemic. And uh, he's tried to defend China's uh, role internationally, especially in those international organizations like uh, BRICS, like um, uh, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. I think it's a bit tricky because uh, India is there uh, and it's re China's relations with India have been deteriorating uh, over the past three years, uh, over the border dispute, which uh, have not been uh, uh, resolved. So, Xingqiao, as I speak to you, the two sessions is drawing to a close. The next big press conference will be from Premier Li Keqiang, but it won't focus on foreign policy. It will be about you know, China's domestic issues. As I understand, this press conference this week from Wang Yi is possibly his last because the next big event, of course, for Beijing, we're on the Beijing political calendar, is the 20th party conference in October. There's every sense that this war in Ukraine will continue. How do you think that will play out in October? Uh, firstly, I think Li Keqiang will also talk about Ukraine, although he's not uh, in charge of diplomacy in China at the moment. 
and uh, about the national sweeping personnel change uh, later this year at the 20th Communist Party Congress. I think for Wang Yi, this year's uh, press conference is uh, one of the most important because it's uh, it's the last one before the, the National Congress of the Communist Party. I think uh, in the lead up to the National uh, Congress of the Communist Party uh, later this year, I think the Beijing's priority will be try to put a positive spin on international narrative uh, that is quite uh, critical of China's role uh, in the world, especially in the wake up of the Ukraine crisis. I think China's priority will be to prevent those uh, countries, especially in its neighborhood, to form a sort of anti-Beijing alliance with the U.S. and other Western countries. And that's an excellent point because the one point that was made very clear uh, about Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping's meeting was that they both agreed very strongly uh, that NATO was something they did not want to see expanded. And now Mm. they're seeing things like the Quad and this AUKUS agreement coming to, as you say, China's own neighbourhood. It'll be a lot to follow through the year. And I look forward to speaking to you again about this. Xi Jinping, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. That's all we have for you for this special two sessions edition of the China Geopolitics Podcast. We, of course, have another episode scheduled at the end of this week. Hope you can tune in. Always follow developments on scp.com. Follow SCMP Economy on Twitter for more updates. There's a lot going on in Hong Kong, around the world. Hope you're okay. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay in touch. Speak to you soon. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.